welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex, and I'm joined by the full squad today in the 757. Ricky the Blue, what's good, bro? I'm tired. I haven't eaten dinner. Uh, but duty calls, man. Facts. Mike McDaniel, how you feeling? Doing all right. A uh, couple days till Thanksgiving. So I'll be feeling real good on Thanksgiving. That'll be good. Be a good day. Yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good right now, but uh <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I meant in a different sense. Yeah. <laughs> Far from the hip. But you know, it is coaching carousel season. Virginia Tech football hasn't experienced this. We got an interim head coach. He's got a loss in the books and a big game on the horizon. And I'm sure we'll cover it all. But first, we got to thank the good old sponsor over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy you want to go to if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number, and look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. You guys give a pretty nice shout out to Jeremy on the last podcast before I arrived late due to the basketball game. I echo everything that you guys say. But uh, let's get it started here. I guess we should kick things off with recapping the Miami game a little bit. Yeah. That's it. Okay. That sounds good. I, I, I know it feels so inconsequential, but had we won, we'd have talked about this game for like 45 minutes. about how JC Price is some sort of genius. But, you know, ultimately the effort comes up short. Virginia Tech goes down big early. Uh, pass coverage defense. Nowhere to be found in the first quarter and for most of the first half and Virginia tech found themselves in a hole that they were unable to climb out of. There was uh, a lot of fight there and they pulled within five before stalling out late in the game. And that pretty much was the story. Ricky, I know you were more than ecstatic. It's hard to find a word in the lead up to JC Price's debut. What were your thoughts on the Hokies game down there in uh, South Florida? Tech came out flat, and that was that was really surprising to me. Um, they they did not find a rhythm offensively, uh, but the the biggest issue for most of the game was just how bad Tech's defense was on the back end. I mean, it was t- Tyler Van Dyke was playing Madden for basically the first half. I mean, it was it was really uh shocking we haven't seen I, I think i think the espn put up a graphic in the middle of the of the, the game something along the lines of tech hadn't allowed a 300 yard passer in such a such a period of time and um i mean if you think about it like tech's tech's defensive backfield has been uh decent for most of the year but i, I think some of us had lost how productive they had been um and with the healthy unit they got torched. I mean, Tyler Van Dyke had almost whatever he wanted in the first half. And even in the second half, uh, after Tech's run there, kind of in the middle of the game, Tech's defense still kind of floundered. Um, just a really disappointing effort. I mean, and for me, this game was just a, a confirmation of exactly what Virginia Tech's problem is, and that's that the roster isn't good enough. 
we can we can complain about coaches all day long and and most of those complaints are 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 warranted but ultimately tech just doesn't have enough good players on the roster i mean jermaine waller is the number one corner on this team and we've we've been praising him as an nfl guy for most of the year he looked lost in this game for most of it he had two chances for picks he dropped both of them and every other time he was getting beaten coverage where his back was facing the quarterback um Virginia Tech had to turn to their backup quarterback in this game. Um, and he was basically just a battering ram. Miami has turned to their backup quarterback, and he's the best passer on the roster. Um, everywhere you look, Miami is just better than Virginia Tech on the roster, just in terms of talent. And that's, well, maybe not at running back, um, but My- Miami is just a better football team in, in terms of talent wise. And, um, what's frustrating is that, you know, Miami has all this talent and they're six and five and Virginia tech is so far behind and they're five and six. Um, imagine what tech could be if they had a roster that was capable of competing at this level. And one last point really quick to kind of sum everything up. Um, if, if the, the monsoon that, that took over this game after basically the first quarter doesn't happen, I don't know how much tech loses by, but it's not what they ended up losing by what they lose by in this game. What did it end up being like 12 or something? 12. Yeah. yeah. 38, 26. They lose by 24. If, if the rain doesn't pick up like it did in the second half. So um, this game was close for a bit, but outside of that small, that, that small window of time, this game didn't feel close. And it felt like, Miami just couldn't really put tech away, but tech never really felt like they could compete outside of that short window. Mike, what are your thoughts, man? Yeah, I echo everything Rick said. The only thing I'm going to add is that if Connor Blumrick comes back next year, I think Virginia tech can, can use him. Maybe not, not at quarterback, but he was good, man. Like athletic, you know, ran the ball. Well, gave tech a spark. If he comes back, I'm not necessarily interested in him playing quarterback full-time, but I think there are other ways to use him as an offensive weapon. He was really good. I was impressed by him. Yeah, that's fair. You know, you could totally see him fitting into, like, some sort of H-back role in the future. You know, if Virginia Tech were to find a competent starting quarterback to fill that role, but, you know, the Blumrick Burmeister dichotomy is not going to be a uh, coherent plan going forward. JC Price called it a moral victory. Do you consider it to be as much? Not really. I mean, it was a moral victory in the sense that they didn't quit, I guess. I mean, and, but, but that, but that's been the thing about this team all year. I mean, uh, outside of short um, spurts, tech hasn't quit. Tech's played hard for most of the season and they've only had a, a couple of times where they, they looked like they were just completely not, not in it mentally. Uh, otherwise Tech's played hard all year. It's just, they're not that good. And that's the, 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 the really frustrating part of it is that you can't fix talent, right? You, 
you can't fix your, your roster's talent in the middle of the season. You can generally fix your team's mindset. You can get guys motivated in the middle of the year. You can't make them better in the middle of the year more often than not. And that means you're, you're inherently limited in what you can do. And um, Virginia Tech just hasn't gotten better all year, and it's just not going to happen. Um, this, is, this is who Tech is. This is the roster that Justin Fuente built, and it's not very good obviously, or else they wouldn't be five and six and, and three and four in the ACC. Um, that's just not going to cut it. You know, when when your number one corner gets absolutely torched by, by Charleston Rambo, who um, is a good receiver in his own right, but Jermaine Waller just did look like he wasn't able to compete with him. It looked like a total mismatch. When you've got guys just running free in the secondary, you know, for most of the first half, um, you are struggling to tackle. Um, it was just a, a real problem from start to finish, uh, quite frankly. And, uh, I'm a little disappointed that, 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 that the talent gap is that far between these two teams. Cause again, Miami's six and five, it, it, Miami's not that good of a football team. I came away. I came away from it less thinking that like, I didn't think that tech was just like drastically overmatched. They just didn't look very well coached. I mean, and that, that's been the, the bigger thing for me. I mean, there were guys just running wide open all over the field. I mean, Rambo's really good. Like, he played receiver at Oklahoma, transferred to Miami. He's been great all year. But, like, guys were just running wide open. There were just, like, coverage busts everywhere. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, oh, my God, like, this is really, really poor. And I, I wholeheartedly agree uh, with, with the weather point that you made, Ricky. Like, if it didn't just start – literally monsooning out like Miami would have kept throwing and Miami hasn't run the ball that great really all year. Um, and they kind of had to, and that drove them off the field a couple times, but I, I was telling you guys in the preview, man, like Tyler Van Dyke's really good. Like they got something at quarterback, which is, which is bad news for, for the coastal. <laughs> like if they're able to ever put it together on the other side of the ball, because Van Dyke's the most competent passing quarterback they've had there in a really long time. I mean, he's better. In, I, I mean, the, the last competent quarterback they had from a passing standpoint was probably Brad Kaya. He's are better. You, are you him. saying that Derek King's not a competent passer? Uh, not like that. No, not on the not, same not level. Like that. No. I mean, King, King does King does enough in the passing game, but the explosive plays deep down the field. I mean, they haven't had that in the passing game since Kaya, and I think Van Dyke's better than Kaya. So. Man, I don't know. That that's we haven't seen Miami's offense operate like that from an explosive passing play standpoint in a long time. Yeah, it should certainly uh, be something for Virginia Tech to should certainly be something for Virginia Tech fans to to look for going forward. Obviously, you have a, a competent North Carolina program in the way that they're recruiting overall. I mean, what are they at right now in the twenty four seven rankings? Right, like ten. Yeah, they're gonna have a top top 15 class in all likelihood but at worst. Miami does that almost every year though for, for I, I'm saying UNC and then I'm saying Miami with the, the guy that they have a quarterback right now, you add in the skill players on the outside and new leadership at athletic director, presumably new leadership at head coach. I don't know if that's going to be a 2022 thing or I, I got, and I got, I, I bucket Carolina with Miami until further notice. Like I don't, 
we gotta we gotta see Carolina put it together confidently with Mac Brown. We've seen the recruiting. The recruiting's great. There's no question. I'm not disputing the recruiting at all. It's just the the on-field product because they have a talented roster now that's not really producing. And you know, Howell in all likelihood's going to the NFL. I know he did the song and dance where he was like, "Oh yeah, I might come back." I, He's, I, he's I think not he's going staying. To like, he's there's no reason. Staying. What's the what's the purpose? So no, he, he no. The, 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 there is no chance that he stays. And you know, you bring up a good point. I mean, Carolina, Miami are almost the same program right now in terms of they've got a lot of flash. They recruit really well. They're not winning on the field. Um, yeah. Now that being said, <laughs> if they're if those two schools ever figure it out, then that's going to be a problem. But um, for now that's their their inability to play competent football on a regular basis is what's keeping tech in contention i mean fair maybe but north carolina you know to group them in with miami miami has been pulling in these big time recruits for years and years and years and they haven't been able to get it together north carolina is still in the infancy stage of you know having a high powered recruiting machine so I, I think it's unfair to judge them in the same lens that you would judge Miami because, you know, football programs aren't turned around overnight, but it seems like North Carolina has all the steps in place. And once you have the talent and the depth of talent in the room, it's the exception rather than the rule that you don't have it together, especially in a weaker division like the ACC Coastal, right? It's just the on-field product part of it. Like Mac Brown had a lot of talented teams at Texas. He won once he had Vince Young, like from a national championship standpoint. Like I, I think by the time they get enough recruiting classes in there, Mac's gonna retire, right? Like he's 70, isn't he? Like or pushing 70 anyway. Um younger than Saban. Yeah, okay. So yeah, Saban just older than David Cutcliffe. So, so Saban just. But do you actually 70. feel like that Saban is going to get out before Mac Brown does? Because no. I don't. No, no, no. Saban said the other day he was coaching until he's eighty. Don't believe that, but you know, I. Well, Alabama kind of coaches itself almost at this point, right? Yeah. Like the the machine that Nick Saban has built. Like Saban could play golf every other day during the year, and Bama would still win ten, eleven games. Um, so. But, you know, for kind of circling this all back to tech, it's just it, it's a matter of the roster just not being good enough. And Virginia Tech's next head coach is going to have a lot of holes to fill. And uh, he's not going to be able to fill all of them in one or maybe even two years. It's going to be kind of a long-term process. I mean, he can he can abuse the transfer portal and, and try and bring in a ton of guys, but – all those are just band-aids at a certain point you have to build the program from the ground up and whoever the next head coach is, is going to have a, a tough time doing that. Yeah. I think we saw with the late state. I think we saw with the late stage Fuente era that filling gaps via the transfer portal can only do so much, but as I transition this conversation to the coaching search, I'll start with a question, you know, Virginia Tech fans are clamoring for success. And given the weakness of the final two recruiting classes under Justin Fuente, given 
the attrition that we're likely to see at the end of the season, both to the NFL or transferring to other schools, the cupboard is going to be left bare and it's not going to be an overnight process. What's a realistic timeline, like a best realistic possible case scenario, if you will, for Virginia tech fans to start scratching the surface of the results they want to see. I Regardless mean, of the can, coaches. you can get a, a pretty decent team within two years, but if you're looking for success that is sustainable that's going to take at least three and maybe even longer um you can you can bring in enough transfers to to plug some holes and and get your your team playing at a a, a competent level within a two-year period um and i think there is some talent on tech's roster where they could they could theoretically be like an eight-win team next year depending on how things shake in the, in the ACC. But if we're being honest, it's probably going to take at least two years for tech to get to what tech fans would consider a really good year. And it's going to take at least three years, probably longer uh, for Virginia tech to build a, a, a program that is on the track to sustainable success where we can, we can sit here, you know, in August every year and count on Tech winning eight to ten games on a consistent basis. That 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 takes a lot of time, um, and it would be shocking if Tech was able to do that within a two year period. I agree. I totally agree on the timeline. I think that's right on the money. Uh, the only thing I'll add is that whoever the coach ends up being. I think is inheriting a better program, but it's not necessarily inheriting a better team than Fuente did with Beamer. Um, I don't think this team that is being inherited by this upcoming coaching staff is nearly as talented as the one that Fuente got when he won 10 games in 2016. So uh, to Rick's point, if, you know, and, and I agree with what Ricky said too, like the eight win threshold next year, depending on who stays um, from some of the underclassmen is not out of the question, but I think, to win 10 games, it would take a bunch of transfers that like high level, high end transfers to come in and contribute right away. And there's just no way of knowing if that's going to happen and who's going to leave. So it's really hard to predict, but I'd be hard pressed to see the team and, and the roster is currently constituting winning 10 games like Fuente did in his first year with whoever the new coach is. And the, the fan base needs to be a little bit patient too and understand that even if the results aren't there, next year it doesn't mean that the coach doesn't know what the hell he's doing right there's there's ways to um there's ways to see progress and growth when you're undergoing a coaching change and a new regime and a new era of football and a transition period there's things that you can look at to see progress other than wins and losses in year one um in some cases like georgia tech now i know that that year three with georgia tech isn't going well but my point being like year one with georgia tech with jeff collins it was such a like huge rebuild they were totally changing identities from triple option to like a regular offense the year one like they didn't even know what the hell they were running on offense because they just didn't have any personnel and then year two you started to see like okay we see what they want to do it's going to be like a spread like a normal offense but it's not gonna be that drastic of a change with whoever the new coach is uh but i caution tech fans that if the results aren't there in year one don't don't all of a sudden panic and, and freak out it, it's not there are ways to measure progress without the wins in the first year with the new coach. You mentioned returning players on the roster and 
maybe I'm having fun and reading tea leaves, but the Roanoke Times, Mike Dizelik writes an article today about Trey Turner's decision to test those NFL waters. And it's retweeted by James Mitchell saying, we're going to miss you here in Blacksburg, big play Trey. Does that mean James Mitchell's coming back? Is there any chance he should come back or will come back? Could Virginia Tech have one of those big impact players from this year's roster whose season was cut short, whose presence was certainly missed in the red zone at critical junctures during games this year that were close? Could he be back? It'd be great to have him, but I am not counting on it. (laughs) But it would be great. It would be great to have him. Highly, highly doubtful that that he comes back and – um, I think he could do himself some good by coming back, you know, having, having your, your final college year cut short due to injury, um, underutilized under the, the, the Fuente Cornelson regime, you take a chance on a, a brand new coach, obviously, but you have to, I don't know, you don't have to, but you know, you're, your reasoning would be that the new coach is going to look and see, okay, well, James Mitchell's coming back. He's one of the better weapons on the roster. Let's try it and, and, and build our scheme a little bit around him so we can utilize the tight ends more. Uh, I, I would, I would hope that the next head coach would do that considering the lack of proven talent on at wide receiver, which one quick note from my, from, from the game at Miami Tech's receivers made some really good plays. Um, whether it be Trey Turner, Dwayne Lofton, Caleb Smith, there were some really nice catches in this game. Jalen Jones had a nice yeah, one Jaylen too. Yeah, Jalen Jones had a really nice one yeah. over the middle. Uh, no idea if they, if they can replicate that moving forward, but that was certainly kind of fun to watch because we have not seen those guys impact the game whatsoever all season long. But if you're James Mitchell, there is some upside to coming back. Obviously, there's downside in that you have another injury or you have kind of a, an underwhelming campaign and all of a sudden you're two years removed from being a, a productive tight end in, at the college level. But again, I don't think it's likely, but I do think that James could benefit from coming back and, and take a chance on himself and bet on himself next year. I mean, Mitchell put his name in with the draft and then like last year, right. And obviously got feedback that, made him come back to school. And my guess is that after playing only two and a half games this year, there's probably not enough tape to show that he's improved in the areas that he needed to improve in. I mean, Carolina is the only well, like quality opponent tech played right um, during that stretch. So if I'm James Mitchell and I don't think that I put, and this is just an assumption. If I don't think I've put enough on tape, I see who the coach is coming in. I see how he's utilized the tight ends in the past with his offenses, right? Um, If I like it, great. Maybe stick around tech. If not, I would consider transferring to a school where he can improve upon whatever he needs to improve upon to to go into the NFL draft. Um, Or if you, you were okay with the grade you got last year and you just felt like you could improve your stock even more, um, and, and you think you're going to get that same grade or you put your name in and get that same grade and maybe you're in the third or fourth round range and you're okay with that, then maybe Mitchell just comes out just for risk of further injury. Yeah, it's certainly an exercise in, in risk analysis and what have you because 
And if he comes back and dominates next year and does a lot of the things that tech fans and some scouts expected him to do, you know, you end up in the first, second round, another knee injury, or like you said, Mike, maybe that knee injury took a toll and you underwhelm and, and that does it. And you miss out on what could have been a later draft pick and end up not getting drafted at all. But talking about the returning roster, I'll say who are the best players that are going to return for tech and if you're a coach evaluating the situation, to what degree do you take into account the players that you're going to inherit, the roster that you're going to inherit, or do you look at it more from a program-wide, a resource-oriented lens when you make that choice? Does the roster as it stands not necessarily matter to you? If you're coming to Virginia Tech, you're not coming here because of talent on the roster. You're coming because you have a ACC program with a storied history and increasing athletic budget, um, some 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 success with bigger donors. You're coming to a program that is uniquely positioned in a Power Five conference, but also a terrible division at least in terms of win-loss, so you have a much easier chance to compete for a conference title than you would in some of the other divisions at the Power 5 level. I don't think you're really worried that much about the roster because uh, wow. you're, you're not – the expectations at Virginia Tech are not going to be when you're one or, or you're gone, right? Like, and they're not even going to be when you're two and you're gone you need to show some signs of improvement in those first two years, but any coach is going to believe that they can do that regardless of where they go. So I don't think that the, um, I don't think that the, the talent remaining on the roster is going to be that big of a, a deciding factor in terms of the talent that's going to be remaining on the roster. I have no idea what this roster is going to look like in a month and a half. I mean, this roster could look, completely different there might be you know more than a dozen guys that that enter the portal once the 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 season's over so i have no idea i mean if you if you assume that most of these guys are coming back you obviously look at you know someone like malachi thomas as a guy that you can build around next year if we're able to keep raheem blackshear around that's another guy that you can you can kind of scheme your offense and build around. I know he didn't look very good in this game, but Dorian Strong is someone at corner that has been a bit underwhelming, but someone that has some talent that you can obviously work with. I'm, I'm just scrolling through the roster here looking for names. Tavion. Um, yeah, obviously. Yeah, that's Tavion Robinson is, is is definitely a great player. And as, as a Tech fan, you really hope he doesn't go elsewhere. Nasir Peoples, Keontae Jenkins at safety. Um, you, you have to hope that Dax can be better next year, but I'm really not all that confident. Um, Alan Tisdale is someone who's underachieved so far at Virginia Tech, uh, but has some, some, some skills. Maybe Taiwan Garbett comes back, someone who's been at least reliable defensive end, even though he hasn't really been explosive. Dean Ferguson is a guy at linebacker that's kind of gotten some run later in games. Maybe he's somebody that you can, you know, kind of coach up a little. Uh, Parker Clements on the offensive line, I think he's probably going to be a starter for the next few years. Uh, I, I think he can be a, a, at least a competent player up front. 
Tanuda, um, is Tanuda is Tanuda a pro prospect right now, or do you think he comes back? He's not a pro prospect. He's got. I mean, he's he is. He, is. he absolutely is. You don't think he is? I mean, maybe down the road, but not after this year. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not imminently. I mean, but he's he's eventually. got tools. Yeah, Obviously, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. That, that, that that length, the arms. He's pretty athletic, but he did not. He has not played all that great this year. He's he's playing out of position, right? He's not a left tackle. Agree. Agree. Put him at right tackle. He, he has he yep. has the length to play left tackle, but he's he's not the elite kind of talent that you really want at left tackle. He's much better suited on the right side. He was much better last year. He can, he can get to the league, but not after this year, he's got to come back, I think, or go to another school and, and, and try and put some better tape out there. Otherwise he's a, he's a lucky sixth or seventh round draft pick and maybe a UDFA. He would be much better suited coming back. And, and even if he does play left tackle again next year, he's got to put some better film on. Yeah, agree. Agree with that. Uh, the, the only thing I was going to say, like to kind of circle back. Caden Moore, another guy. Oh, Kate, yeah, Caden Moore. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's actually been all right. He's been all right. He hasn't been too bad. As a true I mean, freshman, for a true freshman, I'm not, I'm not really upset with the way he's played. I'm really hoping that Jesse Hansen does something next year. He was a big commitment when Tech got him out of Botetot, and he just hasn't broken through yet. But with Lasita Smith gone, Brock Hoffman gone, Johnny Jordan's gone, uh, there's going to be a lot of room in the interior for for guys to play. And Hanson seems like a shoe-in for guard, probably left guard. Um, he's someone that Tech really needs to step up and play big, big uh, minutes next year. The uh, the one thing I was going to mention uh, is you don't you don't take the job because of the roster as currently stands. You you take the job because of the talent you can put on the roster. So if a coach believes he can do that, he's going to take the Virginia Tech job. I think having talent on the roster going into next year is just a bonus because it accelerates the rebuild. So uh, you know, as we look at the coaching search as it stands right now, and Obviously, people are trying to read the tea leaves left and right. Shout we out have, Scott, baby. Yeah, so we have Mike's brother-in-law, oh, God. Scott Savina, a.k.a. The Rocket Man. He's got the spreadsheet going now. He's got spreadsheet a spreadsheet, Scott. Spreadsheet, Scott, baby. Hey, Scott, White I owe you a block bagel and a shot next time I see you for I, the I, hard work <laughs> you're putting in for us. I'll tell you. I'll tell you, man, this is this is what happens when your NFL team is absolutely terrible on Monday night football. You get tracking flights and spreadsheets of the track flights. <laughs> but regardless, yeah, can, can we narrow down a candidate list at this point? Can we put a list of four or five names? Any idea? I mean, someone? Anything? Please I mean, give me something to hold on to. So... I feel like Billy Napier's not happening. I don't think so either. It's just a There's... it's just a hunch, especially now with Florida open. Yeah, it feels like Napier's going to have basically two SEC jobs to choose from, whether it be LSU or Florida. Um, I'm 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 some I'm moderately confident that he gets hired at one of those two programs. Here's here's the thing with that too. It's like. 
we're going to find out real quick how high Virginia Tech is on Napier's list because, and the reason why I say that, not necessarily in regard to the LSU job, because I don't think, based on like people who are in the know, who are like reporting at the Athletic, you know, people, Pete Thamel at Yahoo, like people actually reporting on it, like Napier's on LSU's list, but it doesn't seem like they're, like he's their first choice. So I, I think based on, what I've read and I talked to a Florida guy for the national pod. I do with sons of Saturday today. Who's pretty tied in there. Napier is one of Florida's top choices, right? So Napier, if he's as high on the list for Whit Babcock as people think that he is. um, And if he's as high on the list at Florida, as people think that he is, we're going to find out real quick how high Napier views the Virginia Tech job like is this I mean if if he's choosing between Tech and Florida it's Florida and it's not a question I I, see I I agree like I would choose Florida but I think if you're if you're Napier uh, and I'm gonna try to play devil's advocate here even though I agree with you Rick like if you're Napier and you look at the Florida job and you look at the expectations there, and if you don't think you can get a winning team on the field there in two to three years, like you're in trouble. <laughs> like, yeah, well, no, Mike, like to exactly what you're kind of going for here. Napier is a guy that wants to be the Alabama of wherever he's at. That's kind of all the Intel that's been given about him. And frankly, you know, you look at him early forties, Nick Saban's in his early 70s. I think he might be angling for the Alabama job. Like, where can you succeed at that level? I don't think it's Florida with Kirby Smart in that division, with Mark Stoops having Kentucky as well as they're playing. You know, Tennessee looks like they're on the rise. Shane might have South Carolina on the rise. And frankly, you know, we just saw what happened at Florida three new year, six bowls, one bad year, and you get SEC out of there. If his ultimate goal is to try to create a path to Alabama, I don't know if what is the place to do it. I mean, that's the only way I could see him taking Virginia tech over Florida, but it's something to consider. Me too. Me too. Yeah. That, that was the, that's the devil's advocate argument, but I, I agree. Like if Florida's open and Virginia tech's open, I mean, guys, the better jobs, Florida, like we, we know that. You know, so that's the only way I could I could see him being reasonably interested in taking Virginia Tech o- over Florida because Florida is going to pay him more and he's going to have more resources at Florida because of the type of program it is in the SEC. Like the Florida job is a better job. Like if you're arguing otherwise, you're just just not <laughs> you're not you're not being honest. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's just a better job. So. I agree. I mean, my, I, I don't know. I mean, my feeling too is like, I, I think Napier is there, there are so many big jobs opening. I feel like he's going to get one of those and him choosing Virginia tech would mean that he maybe wasn't the top choice at these other schools, or maybe he saw in the scenario we just laid out that Virginia tech was a better option than Florida. But I think Florida opening changes the calculus of things for, for Napier even more than the LSU job does. Look, I just got breaking news. There is another head coaching opening in Blacksburg. The Blacksburg high school football coach has resigned. He has stepped down after two consecutive seasons without a win. 
Um, Fuente yo, can take Blacksburg. it. He doesn't have to move. Yeah, Blacksburg. he doesn't Football isn't very good. What? No, they've completely gone downhill. They haven't won a oh. game in two years. I mean, when we wow. were in school, they were dominant, but yeah. not the case anymore. Because everyone look, I will not rule myself out, out as a candidate for the job. Everyone I will not rule myself out, out that Tech didn't offer Cole Beck until the last minute. Kidding. Also, like, I don't think they've won a game since Cole Beck's been gone, right? Like, was he the entire team? I think that, I think they had one good year after, and then they've been toast. But, uh, all right, so let's just say Napier is off the table theoretically. So what are we left with? Charles Huff, Dave Clawson, Chadwell. Apparently Bill O'Brien's picking up some steam. Mike is shaking his head when I say Chadwell. I don't want Chadwell either. No, nah, I don't want Chadwell. I, I don't. I mean, look, the, the reality of it, and we've, we've talked about this before, the reality of it is that whoever gets hired, we're just going to throw our weight behind, and we're going to see pros and cons of each hire. So, And ultimately, we don't know until we're a few years into it. But with Chadwell in particular, I would like to see some more head coach experience at the FBS level. And, and granted, he's done a great job at Coastal, right? He's done a great job, but that's a real, that's a real risky hire, and I'm not sure that's something Witt will be able to pull the – trigger on reasonably um i know like nationally people are throwing chadwell's name in there i just don't i don't see wit doing that but i i don't i didn't see wit hiring buzz i mean buzz was established so it's not even the same argument but like i he does stuff out of left field right like hiring chadwell to me like it's on everybody it's on people's lists but i just don't really see him doing it it would be kind of out of left field for me for for him to do that because i just don't think chadwell's ready for virginia tech yeah, I mean, that's certainly a uh, – and we've talked at length about the riskiness of the move and, and risk mitigation for Whit Babcock when it comes to making a hire that will ultimately determine his legacy as the athletic director at Virginia Tech. And I, I don't envision that's the direction he's going in because, you know, you talked about head coaching experience at the Power 5 level. How about any experience at the Power 5 level at all? Right. Jimmy Chadwell does not have that on his resume. What do you guys, Another what do you guy. guys think of Huff? What do you guys think of Huff? And Rick, if that's not where you're going with that, feel free to do your point that we can move on to the Huff thing. Um, I just want to say another name that's not going to happen is Hugh Freeze. No. Since Hugh Freeze just, just signed a um, lengthy extension with Liberty and he's now going to average $4 million a year. Um, so for Pretty all those crazies that thought Hugh Freeze was a candidate, sorry about your luck. In terms of, of Huff, I mean, I I like the fact that he has the the experience at Bama. Anyone who's coached under Saban immediately has instant credibility with me. Um, that being said, coaching, being the head coach at Marshall is not being the head coach at an ACC program. And... I'm not sure that he's ready to make that jump yet. Um, at this point, there isn't a, I don't think there's a candidate out there that is as attractive to me as Dave Clawson. And I'm probably just going to die on that hill. Rick is full Clawson train. I think if we you're are, going, we are fully on the claw crawl as, as Jeremy <laughs> has, has so eloquently created. Um, I am fully on board the claw crawl. I think you – so a couple things. I think with Huff, the staff would make all the difference, right? 
and, and how I perceive that hire. Um, I, I mean, I think from a recruiting standpoint, uh, we know he can recruit. I mean, he was Saban's top assistant. He's highly regarded as one of the, you know, widely regarded, excuse me, as one of the top recruiters in the country. Um, you know, as he was coming up through the assistant coach ranks from Maryland, went to Hampton. I think he's, he'd established the relationships of the 757, reestablished those and in the 804. Um, being an African-American coach and paving, you know, that, that new road at Virginia Tech, it would be kind of, a, it would be a historic hire. I think that some high school kids would be drawn to playing, uh, playing for a school that just made a historic hire like that. I think that would play to some kids. I also just think naturally him being from the 757 area would help. Uh, so, and, and then it, the one thing we don't know about Huff, I mean, he gains credibility from being on Saban's staff, but in-game management and stuff like that as a head coach, we only have, I mean, they're, they're what? They're six and four or seven and four at this point, I think seven and four, I believe after this past weekend, we only have 11 games of like in-game management data with Huff, right? So you're a little bit limited in that regard to, to Ricky's point. Uh, with Clawson, we know he can coach offense. He's done more than more with less at, at wake, you know, when considering the type of athlete that they can recruit within the confines of the school, he's won everywhere he's been. He's won at Fordham. He's won at Bowling Green. Uh, there's another school I'm leaving off, uh, before he got to Didn't wake Forest. Didn't he win at Richmond? Richmond. Thank you. Richmond. Yes. So Richmond Bowling Green, um, he's a guy who can come in and he'll have an offense that's clicking in relatively short order. The thing that gives me pause with Clawson is he's never found a way to replace Mike Elko when Elko was the defense coordinator at wake, like their defenses have been pretty bad since then. But with that being said too, I, I think there are some restrictions uh, at Wake Forest that make it difficult to hire a defensive coordinator that he would need to hire to replace a guy like Mike Elko. I think he got, he was fortunate and lucky that he was able to get Mike Elko a little bit earlier on before he started gaining all this clout. <laughs> he leaves Wake Forest, goes to ND, turns the Notre Dame defenses around and then goes to A&M and A&M's got one of the top defenses in the country. So we know Elko can coach defense. Um, so it's tough for Clawson to replace that at Wake Forest. I don't think he'd have as big of a problem at this current state of Virginia Tech's program uh, where the funding's at to hire a, a competent defensive staff. A few years ago, when the, uh, when, when the staff was you know, trying to replace Bud Foster and they're going after Barry Odom and there are rumors out there that they couldn't pay him what he wanted, I don't think that would be as big of an issue now with the way that football has been raising money here over the last few years. So if Clawson can hire a defensive staff, I'm not too concerned about the recruiting. I think Clawson would figure that out um, with, with the right staff. And we know he can coach offense. They have a top 15 offense in college football at Wake Forest, for God's sakes. And the guys won everywhere he's been. I, I think the fan base wouldn't receive Clawson as well as they should, in my opinion, because they're like, oh, he's Wake Forest, Wake 17 and 5. I think people have to understand how difficult it is to win football games at Wake Forest. Wake and, Forest and is done. a football wasteland. Yeah. Prior to. He can coach, man. Tell yeah, me. No, absolutely. I mean, he, it's, it's frustrating to me because 
people need to understand, I think, what kind of program Virginia Tech is, right? So Tech is not going to recruit in the top 15 probably ever, but let alone on a consistent basis. You win at Virginia Tech by developing talent and and finding ways to stock your team with experienced players that you have coached up. And, and, and you find guys that are overlooked by other programs. That's how it's going to get done in Blacksburg. It's not going to get done. If you're, if you're trying to be Ohio state, it's not going to get done. If you're trying to be Alabama, this is a different situation. And if you're looking for someone who can, come from behind the eight ball, which is exactly what Wake Forest is, um, and, and and compete against those above him in terms of stature and prestige and resources. Dave Clawson's done it, and he's been doing it for years. So for me, I don't think there's a better fit right now of of candidates, and I've, I've yet to see anyone, anyone that's been thrown out there. I've yet to see any that have been as good of a – a fit at Virginia Tech is Dave Clawson. And I so say what, what, all what, what that. The, I, I'm just saying to Rick, one sec. What would be your counterpoint to the argument that a lot of people are making that Dave Clawson is a safe, high floor, low ceiling candidate that won't necessarily get Virginia Tech to where this fan base wants the program to be? I have my answer. I mean, he raised the ceiling at Wake Forest. That's probably the biggest just argument against that. I mean, um, I'm going back here and I'm pulling up Wake's records in football just to give people kind of an idea. Like outside of Jim Grobe, like 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 the early Jim Grobe days, this program stunk. Like you go and look in the 90s, they were terrible. You go and look at the end of the Jim Grobe era, they were terrible. And the the resources that wake has are limited they have a higher academic standard that they have to recruit to and clausen's just kind of thrown all that to the side and he's built a, a competent program at a school where a competent program shouldn't exist i mean if you're in a world in a world that was more reasonable wake forest would suck at football but they don't and they're they're competing with Clemson. They're competing with NC State. They're competing with these schools that have way more resources. And Dave Clawson's going head to toe. And look, I'm not going to act like you know Clawson is winning you know ten games every year. He's not. But at a certain point, you've got to you've got to understand that Dave Clawson is doing more with less. And I know people don't like that phrase, but that's what Virginia Tech is. That's what Virginia Tech has always been. And quite frankly, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. The, the, also, the argument or the counterpoint I have to people saying, oh, he, he can't raise the ceiling at Virginia Tech. My argument is, where has he been as a head coach? That he that hasn't had, raised the ceiling. That he, A, hasn't raised the ceiling, and B, name one school he's been at so far in his coaching career as, as the head coach where he's had the resources that he's going to have in Blacksburg right N- nowhere nowhere Never. not even close not even close so that's that's the that's the counter argument all that to say i think he's going to get extended at wake forest and stay there <laughs> so that's my yeah, and, 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 and and again if i'm dave clausen i don't 
I don't know if Virginia Tech is as good of a job in the short term as Wake Forest is. Because if he if he wants to go elsewhere, he's probably better off staying at Wake and building on that program and continuing to win football games when he probably shouldn't be winning football games. Whereas if he goes to Tech, he's taken on a massive rebuild. So he can continue to win at Wake, and in one to two years, he can have, you know, pick wherever the hell he wants to go and name his salary. So I, I, I'm i a huge Dave Clawson fan. I really hope Virginia Tech hires him. I think he would be a tremendous hire. I think he would win at Tech. Um, I'm not all that confident that he's going to get hired, and I think I'm going to be pretty disappointed in whoever the hire is relative to where I wanted them to go. Wow, that's a statement. Yeah, okay. seriously. So, Ricky, if it's I, not Clawson. No, 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 Andrew, 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 I got this one. So you're saying that if it's not Dave Clawson, you're going to be disappointed? Probably. Based on based on what? How can you say that? Based on the candidates that are out there. We don't we don't really know though, do we? Like, do we I really mean, know? I, I mean, the chances of Whip Babcock pulling out a name that no one has heard of is unlikely, right? I got one. Ha, go. Ha, well, it's, not it. that, it's not that nobody's heard of. I just no nobody's really talking about it. Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Okay, you're going off the flat tri- flight tracker season, and I, I get that. Um, <laughs> That'd be a heist. I would be, I, I would be ecstatic if they hire, <laughs> yeah, if they hire Campbell. Too. But I'm me not, too. I'm not considering Campbell as a serious candidate. I'm looking at, I'm looking at guys like Charles Huff or Jamie Chadwell or all these other guys that we've named. They're not Dave Clawson, and I'll be disappointed. Now, if if Wit proves me wrong, fantastic. I would be, I'd be thrilled. But given the names I've seen and given the, the, the context of the landscape at the moment where there are a lot of competitive jobs, I don't think that there is a coach out there that Virginia Tech can realistically hire that I will be as happy about as Dave Clawson. And I love Clawson, right? I love Clawson. I, you, know, you guys know I'm a Wake Forest truther. You know I love Dave Clawson. <laughs> but I don't see – I personally, like, I don't see Dave Clawson as, like, far and away the bet like i think he's better i think he's like more proven than huff and uh you know you he, think he's, he's more proven than huff well i know he's more proven than huff. he is he's more proven than huff but like if you put dave clausen and, and billy napier side by side and i look at napier's assistant coach experience and where he's been at and i i, I can't tell you that if virginia tech decides to hire billy napier instead of dave clausen i'm going to be like totally torn one way or the other like real upset about it i guess is where i'm at i will be just disappointed because i think clausen is the that's better insane fit. that's crazy i mean i agree I don't to disagree think that's crazy agree to disagree if i if i think dave clausen is the better fit and they and they don't go with him and they go with someone else wouldn't i like how would i not be disappointed if clausen's my 1a i just think if it's that i think if it's that tight right like do you do you think do you see it as like clausen I guess I guess I'm evaluating you differently. So, do you see it as Dave Clawson, like one, and then like big gap, and everybody else? I don't think the gap is is incredibly large. No, but I think Clawson is the clear cut one for me. Fair. I mean, I just think in a world where I'm not going to be depressed, Mike, but I'm going to be disappointed. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. Like in Virginia Tech status as 
number four or five in the hierarchy of head coaches, no one that's realistically within our grasp is this perfect candidate. No, I think no, we're dealing no, with a number no. of candidates with a number no. of flaws and Agreed. it's kind of just pick your poison. I agree. Well, I don't think it's picking poison. I think it's, it's finding the guy that you're willing to bet on the most. And if I had to find, if I had to go with any of the guys so far that have been named that I think are realistic and I'm not including Campbell in that. Cause I don't think he's realistic. Uh, then Dave Clawson's the guy. And, and, and I, I think it's, I think it's clear. And maybe more importantly, what are you betting on? What specific traits are you betting on in your head coach? Right. Like if you're betting, I'm betting on, a guy, on someone who is a fit for the program, but you don't know that though. And not, we don't know that we don't know that with any of these guys though. Okay. Well then Mike, we don't know anything. I thank you. All, all right. Sorry. So we should just not have this conversation. then. No, we should, we should have the conversation. My, my point, my point is that it depends on what you're looking for in evaluating the job, right? If you're wit, are you looking for, a guy who's proven that he can coach on field, right? Like get the most out of at least one side of the football offensively. Um, are you willing to bring in like the cons against Clausen are if you bring him in and your entire program under Beamer was built on a real clear defensive identity, you're not going to have that with Dave Clausen immediately. You're not going to know. Like he's got to bring in the right guys on that side of the ball, right? And so, is he going to ditch his folks from Wake? Well, see, that's that's the that's that's a huge question, right? If I'm Wit and I'm saying, okay, we're hiring Dave Clawson, and Clawson's high on my list too, so I'm not I'm not like totally shutting it down. He's very high on my list too. But if I'm if I'm bringing in Clawson, the question is, who's your defensive staff going to be? That's the very first question. If I'm Wit, I'm asking him, like, who are you hiring on defense? Because you can't bring your Wake Forest defense with you; it won't work. Right. And, and on the other side, too, like, I don't think Virginia Tech's football program is going to get where the fan base wants it to be, where, you know, the administration believes it can be without reasserting itself as a force recruiting within the Commonwealth of Virginia and the neighboring states. Are we confident that Dave Clawson is the coach that can inspire I mean, because when Mike was mentioning a bunch of the pros for Charles Huff, and I know Charles Huff's got a ton of unknowns on the on-field coaching side, where with Dave Clawson, you know, you have a plethora of data points from over the years that he totally can be that guy. But is Dave Clawson the guy that's going to reassert Virginia Tech as a force that out-recruit North Carolina, compete with, you know, the Penn States and Ohio States for a high-level recruiter too, within the Commonwealth. I, I just don't know because, again, part of him doing more with less is that he's never really been in the running. He's been a talent evaluator, a guy that's brought people from the two-star level to the all-ACC level. Can he recruit at a high level? I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying we don't know. I guess right. I, the, here's, here's the thing, too, right? Like, we're all harping on recruiting. It's really, it's really, really important, right? It's extremely important, but like the player development is more important. Yes. At Virginia tech player development is more important than recruiting. This has always been a player. And and that's why this goes back to fit. I just, 
and and Dave Clawson, Dave Clawson has done more than less. That's clear. More with less, right? That's clear on one side of the football. I'm not clear on him being able to develop talent on defense. Like the offense would certainly be better than it has been this year. Would the defense be any better? I don't, I don't know. Could it be worse? I, you know, could, could be. Um, I mean, there, there are questions, there are questions there. My, my thing is like, I think what a lot of fans are weary of with Clawson is that if you bring him in, yeah, your offense will be improved. Your defense might be about the same and your recruiting might be about the same. So isn't it just like, okay, you're getting a guy who's, you know, won seven or eight games at Wake Forest. And then what's the, that's where the ceiling question comes in. It's like, okay, can he get the recruiting class in? Can he have a defensive staff that's competent enough to kind of overcome the issues that he's had at Wake Forest? Are you banking on on that, a guy who's been there or done that at Fordham, Richmond, and Bowling Green, and then Wake? Or are you betting on a guy who's been on Saban's staff, right, whether it's Napier or Huff? Or, um, you know, God, I just can't see Virginia Tech going after Chadwell or, or Healy. I just don't see it. So Jamie, Jamie Chadwell or Will Healy will be an epic disappointment. Yes. As far as I'm concerned, I don't yeah. think either of them are particularly qualified for the job. I'd have Will a hard Healy time. The Duke. Yeah, that's that Healy or Chadwell, the Duke would be, I think, a, a better like stepping stone. And then if they do it there, then you can start talking about, OK. Now they've done it like a, a, a P5 school, lower level. Can they can they push that forward? Um, and they're young. You know, that you're, they're young. They have time. I just, I don't think they have the requisite experience. Everybody's killing Clawson for not having the requisite experience. And then they'll, they'll bring up Healy or Chadwell. I'm like, what are, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, we're going to argue that we're going to argue out of one side of our mouth that Clawson doesn't have the experience and then say, say that we want Chadwell. I'm like, what, what are we, what are we doing? So, I mean, if you're look if you're looking at it from Witt's standpoint, I mean the the top three traits you want in this Virginia Tech job, and I know he mentioned like a billion of them in the press conference. That, you know, some of them were word vomit, but essentially he wants player development, recruiting, and you know, a guy who fits into the Blacksburg culture, whatever that means. Uh, in in no particular order, it means not Dan Mullen, and it means not Hugh Freeze. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but I feel like that just le- it leaves the door open for basically everybody else. Like, I don't think, I don't think it's really a true like uh qualifier. You know what I mean? I mean, like it is for the fringe I think guys after Justin Fuente and how he kind of dug himself in a hole with his closeted personality, at least his closeted public face. You need someone as a candidate that's going to be able to, inspired not only the confidence of the fan base in an opening press conference, but the, you know, inspire the big donors as we're trying to raise 400 million fricking dollars to improve this thing. That being said, most of the main candidates who are being floated out there fit that bill. I mean, I could just, that's for a reason. (laughs) Yeah. And I could just pick a con with every, like, I mean, I guess this is with every coaching search, but with all the guys that are rumored, like you can pick, you can pick cons, right? Like 
see the Napier Napier one's interesting because like the only con I have against Napier is like, how do we know it's not another Fuente? <laughs> but it's like he's gone 31 and five. He's coached on good staffs. Like he's been able to raise the recruiting profile at Louisiana, which is something in and of itself. Like there, there's a lot to like there. I just, I don't know if we're his top choice. Like how much stock do we put into that? And if he ends up in Blacksburg in a day, I guess nobody really cares, but. Um, I mean, they're, they're, the, the cons with Clawson are you don't know what you're getting recruiting or defensively. The, the cons with Huff are you don't know what you're getting in-game. I think the recruiting would be good with Huff um, because he was a tireless recruiter at Alabama and he knows the state of Virginia and, and knows the Tidewater area well. So I do think recruiting would improve in-state with Huff. But then the unknowns are like, what's the staff look like? What does in-game management look like? Because we only have a few data points. Like, what role did he play in player development at Alabama? We don't know, we don't really know, right? What he did at Bama, other than the fact that he was an ace recruiter, right? And he was the associate head coach at Bama, which the title sounds great, but like, what what, what all that did mean? that entail? Right? What does that mean? What all does that entail exactly? So, I mean, there's questions there. Um, Chadwell, it's like, okay, he's never coached at a P5 Healy just I, try to get charlotte on track for i know i know they went to a bowl healy and chadwell aren't worth discussing as far as i'm concerned i, I think I, chadwell is worth discussing insofar as i can envision a scenario where it happens I, I would not be happy with it healy there's no chance i don't consider him to be a serious candidate who who do I you tell guys... you what, if they hire jamie chadwell this podcast after that hiring will be not wild will be, be wild. will be nuts. It'll be wild. It'll be off the rail. Like we go off the rails a lot. Basically, Andrew will introduce us really quick. He'll do the Main Street Farm read, and then it'll basically just be Ricky. Go ahead and yell at the mic for for fifteen minutes uninterrupted. Mike, say you just say I agree. <laughs> we can move on to the next thing. Rate, um, review, subscribe. <laughs> yeah, rate, review, subscribe at the end. What is um. Let's hit on let's hit on this real quick. I I know we're running long or whatever, but let's hit on this real quick. If there's a coordinator out there that you would get in the mix, who would it be? If there was like one one guy or, or two guys, I mean, I think the two for me are uh, Freeman at Notre Dame, defense coordinator, Elko at A and M. We already talked about Elko, but. Elko can coach defense on the moon. <laughs> like he's unreal. Freeman, I think might be held in the same regard in like a year or two, but he's just a little bit younger um, than Elko, but he's starting to prove that he can kind of coach defense all over the place too. So uh, you have an opportunity to, to get in on, on those guys early. You got the Freeman connection with, you know, with, uh, you know, coach with Fickle at Cincinnati. So, you know, Witt knows of Freeman. Like, Freeman's been on that staff a while, you know, before going to Notre Dame. So, there's a little bit of a connection there. I mean, is there an assistant that stands out to you guys, either those two or otherwise? I've no one else I would consider other than two mentioned? I've, I've said his name before, but Tim Beck at NC State, I think, is – and an extremely unlikely candidate, but I do think he's qualified. Um, he's coached at a ton of different places, coached at Ohio State, um, coached the Ellinger 
Ellinger era at Texas and quarterback play was never really the issue there. Uh, Devin Leary's having a great year under Tim Beck this season. Um, he's never been a head coach before, and that's obviously kind of concerning. Uh, but if, if we're looking at strictly coordinators, I think Beck is, is at least worth discussing. I'm also a fan of, of Freeman. Um, if there was a coordinator that we were going to hire, it would pro- I would probably want to take him, to be quite honest. Um, Elko is definitely someone who's obviously, like you said, he can coach defense anywhere. Um, so, but I, none of these coordinators really kind of get my eye, right? Like for me, it's, it's Clawson is number one. Napier is probably number two. After that, I, I not, no one really stands out to me outside of those two candidates, um, left, which was always a, a pipe dream. So for me, the, I, I if if tech doesn't hire one of those two guys i'll be really disappointed like kind of going back to mike's like you know when we were talking about what the disappointed means like i'll be really really disappointed if tech doesn't hire one of those two guys um unfortunately i think there's at least a fair shot that happens i would say if it's not Lawson huff or napier and it's not like a home run guy that we haven't talked about yet then i'm gonna be probably more underwhelmed like i don't like i i'm going to have a hard time like with chadwell and and i'm sorry to keep coming back to this but like chadwell's offenses that that he runs like it's like the modern triple offense uh, triple option out of spread like it's interesting but i don't know if it would work and there's just so many questions. Like there, there are more questions than the answers when you get further down the list because that's why the guys are further down the list. Um, but if you guys had a home run, like a home run type candidate, that is probably pretty unlikely. Head coach, coordinator elsewhere, coordinator at the NFL level. You know, we we talked about Lepwich. Like, if there's a home run guy elsewhere, like who would be your one? your one pick. I mean, it's probably Campbell, right? At, at Iowa state. Yeah. I think it's, I don't, most... I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's anyone else that's even, even remotely possible. That would be a better hire. Um, what he's done there has been phenomenal. He's not going to stay there for much longer. Obviously he's, he's going to have too many bigger schools come calling and hell he may even leave this year. So it's the most probably be Campbell. It's the most realistic out of the unrealistic, I think, um, Campbell, because Iowa State is just kind of like this job that just kind of exists out there. (laughs) It's going to be in like the Big 12 wasteland in a couple of years. And the future of that program is is definitely up for is cloudy for sure. I could I could see him entertaining other offers. and, you know, I, I love Luke Fickle. I just don't think there's a prayer he comes to Blacksburg. I didn't think it last year. I certainly don't think it now that Cincinnati's in really good shape to make the playoff, <laughs> um, especially with everything that happened last weekend. They're, they're probably more likely than not to make the playoff now. So I, I just don't, I don't see it. Um, so I think he's probably the most realistic of the, like, unrealistic guys. So. Random name that we haven't mentioned that in terms of like just off the wall coordinator, Alex Grinch at Oklahoma. I like him I have, too. I have no idea what his connection is 
to the Mid-Atlantic, my guess is that it's nil. <laughs> but like if you're looking for you a can coach too. If you're looking for a coordinator that can coach, it, I mean Grinch can coach for sure. Yeah, I mean when I look at you know the checklist that Whip Babcock made, Power Five experience has gotten it done. You look at the goal to compete in the coastal every year, and it's hard to look past Pat Narduzzi. No, oh, <laughs> I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Mike, you need to mute Andrew right now. That's that's a mutable offense. Like a totally oh, total reality. I was between that and saying, uh, you know, we have national championship aspirations, so Les Miles might fit in well in Blacksburg, but. <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, Matt Campbell. I, I don't think it's gonna happen. That'd be cool. I I, I have a hard time envisioning there's gonna be any like home run candidate that comes out of left field where the fan base is like, wow, I didn't see that coming, and it not being Matt Campbell. Like I don't know if you guys remember in 2015 when Tech hired Fuente, but there was almost unanimous approval when he got hired. Oh yeah, right, yeah. like. There were sure. there were very few folks that didn't buy into that hire right away. Whoever gets hired now is not going to have that same kind of reception. Unless it's Napier, in my opinion. I think the Napier, I not not for me personally. I'll be like, yeah, you know, this is this is the G5 guy this year. But I think a lot of fans are behind that. And I'm cool with it, but I'm so I'm so soured from the G. And it's probably not fair to a degree, but I'm so soured from the from the G five just based off of what just happened. That maybe it's a little unfair to Napier, but he's got a lot because his qualifications are really good, and he he's got a really good coaching record at Louisiana and stuff. I just well, hindsight is twenty twenty with Fuente, and if you go back and look at his experience, it was really predicated around two quarterbacks. Yeah. Both of whom were just really talented guys. Right. Whereas Napier at least has kind of he's been responsible for for a lot more than just the development of two quarterbacks, one of which was an NFL starter for quite some time and the other was a, a first round draft pick who flamed out. I will say I think my my concern about Napier is a little bit unfounded insofar as like Napier the coach himself. <laughs> like it's like my my criticism is is not even criticism of Napier. It's more just uneasiness because of what just happened with Fuente than anything else. It's got nothing really to do with Napier. I think he's a he's a good coach and he's he's done well everywhere he's been. And um, yeah, that's just I don't know. I mean, like the criticism of Napier, if you're looking for one, is that his offenses have been lackluster and trending downward at Louisiana, playing against you know, a pretty poor group of five division in a situation where he asserts himself as the guy that's going to call all the offensive plays and at the power five level calling the offensive plays. You look back to his time at Clemson, look at his time at Arizona state. The numbers weren't exactly popping off the charts. I mean, he got fired at Clemson. I mean, that was 10 years ago. You can learn from your mistakes in a sense. You can almost see, you know, failing and then, coming back and reasserting yourself as a, a top candidate to be head coach as a positive rather than negative, because, you know, making adjustments and, and 
recreating your strategy is an important thing as a coach at any level. But I mean, you know, again, if there was a perfect candidate for the job, he would not be a candidate for Virginia Tech because <laughs> LSU would be crawling for him. <laughs> like, yeah, really. And that's that's something that, you know, I've been trying to point out to folks really for the last several weeks is that there's a lot of competition on the market this year. And whoever, you know, guys or, or programs like LSU or USC or Florida hire, they're going to create openings elsewhere. And those programs that they pull from are likely going to be more comparable to where Virginia Tech stands. So that's that's my worry is that you get schools like Baylor that end up having to hire a head coach because Dave Aranda has gone elsewhere, or you get a school like Iowa State that ends up having to hire a coach because Matt Campbell went elsewhere. Um, those are the, 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 the movements that end up worrying me the most because ultimately schools like USC, LSU, and Florida are going to hire established head coaches. And the, the thing too is like I, it, is, it is good for Virginia Tech that one of the coaches that's very high on their list is also high on LSU and Florida's list. Like, okay, we're swimming in the right waters, right? So I, I try to keep telling myself that when, you know, I sit here and I'm like, ah, but Napier's from the group of five and look at what just happened. It's like, yeah, but LSU and Florida have him on their short list. So, I mean, could it he really be, be that so bad? bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, could it really be, could it really be that bad? Or when I, or when I sit there and tell myself, but he was fired from Clemson 10 years ago. It's like, yeah, but. LSU and Florida want him, so you should want him too. It's like, yeah, okay. Which is why when we hire Chadwell, we'll be justified in <sighs> being mad about it. I'll just have to talk myself into the fact that we're just early on it. You know, we're early on it. We're, we got in before everybody else. You know, we, we saw what no one else it. saw. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We saw what nobody else saw. Nope. Not me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to figure out ways to spin it. And I just don't know that we're going to be able to. So we've been going for too long. Are we going to beat Virginia now? Um, I mean, we're still going to do a preview pod, right? For, for this game. I sure I I can. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I I think we should. Um, Early thoughts, (laughs) early thoughts are no, Virginia tech's not going to win this game. Um, I was shockingly optimistic last week and I bit the bullet hard. So uh, negative Rick has returned. Tech is probably going to lose to Virginia. I really hope I'm wrong. I do not want to see those people uh, celebrating for another 365 days. So um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's all going to come down to whether or not, Tech's defense shows up if, if they can even keep Tech in the game because we all know Virginia can score. Um, real quick, before we move on, Tech basketball has played, what, two games? Or is it just one game since we last recorded? We just recorded. one game, right? Yeah, yeah, just well, one game. It was the, the Merrimack game. Merrimack. Um, I know all of our listeners had that circled on the calendar. Yeah. The, 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 the important thing to mention is that Tech does have a few – or some big games coming up um, tomorrow, actually. Uh, Tech plays Memphis in Brooklyn at 9.30, which is just a hellacious time to, to play a basketball game. And then in, two days later, I, I, the day after Thanksgiving, they get either Iowa or Iowa State or Xavier. So 
And then after that, Maryland. So for the next week, we're really going to learn, I think, a lot about Tech basketball and where they stand. Um, and hopefully they're willing to meet the challenge. Memphis is going to be a tough, a tough pull for sure. Yeah, don't they, doesn't Memphis have like some 6'10 point guard or something like that? That feels like a tough defensive matchup. I hope not. <laughs> I might uh, be exaggerating at 6'10, of course. Memphis, Memphis has a real good team. Um, I mean, they are ranked top 10 for a reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now they have up, Imani, up. Imani Bates is an yeah. issue for sure. Um, and he's been really good. I mean, Memphis. If you're looking at Memphis, I mean, oh they well, looky there. Yet. There's a familiar face on this roster. <laughs> Landers Nolly, Mr. Nolly, Landers Nolly. Yeah, how awesome. He is their sixth man. <laughs> so, yep, that adds up. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's Jalen Duran, freshman. Jalen Duran, yeah, he's yeah, Duran center. Yeah, he's good. Um, he's at he's actually their leading scorer. Yeah. Um, it's so, a tough yeah, matchup. I mean, it, it, it's going to be hard. Like this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before the season started about, you know, tech's issues at, you know, kind of their, their depth issues at wing. They're going to get tested over the next few games for sure. Uh, and this will be a huge test. I am curious to see how Landers performs against his former team and, and how tech is able to defend him. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, It'll be interesting. I mean, I, I forgot that Nolly up until a couple of days ago, forgot that Nolly even transferred there and was on the roster. But good well, remember he transferred there and then it, he was like in limbo because they thought he was going to go pro. And then I guess they finally <laughs> got it to him that, Hey, you're not a pro prospect right now. Go to school. <laughs> yeah. Or you're not so. a pro prospect like ever because He's, uh, I mean, he's got, he's got talent. Like he's got <laughs> some talent. He's, Definitely he's got some other things that he's got to figure out, but he's at least got some skills. Agree. I would, I would love to have his kind of skill set on the roster at tech. That's for damn sure. I don't think he fits the Mike young system. No, no. <laughs> that's why, that's why I, I specifically said skill set. because <laughs> I don't really want Landers Nolly, the person in the program that I, I don't. That's fair. That's more than fair. <laughs> I'll reserve my thoughts to agreeing with you. <laughs> Is there anything else we want to hit on before we wrap this up? Um, obviously, rate, review, subscribe, and um, yeah, no, dude, we'll... Nikki Giovanni's everywhere. She talked to the football team today. I saw that. It's the Jeremy counts effect. Yeah, man. You, you talk to Jeremy, and they're just it's almost like nobody had ever heard of Nikki Giovanni until, <laughs> until she's until, until she, she walked through Main Street, Main Street pharmacy. pharmacy. <laughs> and now she's talking to oh. uh, division one FBS power five football program. You know, she, we, she's going places, man. You know, <laughs> we brought it. We, we brought up the fact that she had visited main street pharmacy. Nobody had ever heard of main street pharmacy until listening <laughs> to this podcast. Nobody knew who Nikki Giovanni was until listening to this podcast. Now she's everywhere. She's having lunch at the white house next week. Unreal. You should leave it at that. <laughs> the places you can go from hokey hangover. It's just, it's phenomenal. We're building businesses. We're building careers. We're putting, we are putting Nikki Giovanni on the map. 
We are we are just mending the world, I suppose. Regardless, we are we're we're trying to reverse the decline of Western civilization since Rick Stockstill has yet to take on the task. I mean, he has climbed up my list, certainly. It's like, I swear to God, I've been camped outside the Murfreesboro, Tennessee airport for five days. And still nothing. Andrew, Andrew feverishly control F's on his keyboard on the flight tracker to see if he can find Murfreesboro. I have, I, I have heard that there was a photographer hiding in a tree outside of the Blacksburg airport today. So that's a story for a different day. But Which I, I say, I'd Jeremy, go back to work. I just thought I would slide that in there. It's officially coach season. We've got photographers hiding in trees to see who's going to be on the runway. At the it's not airport. that important, y'all. Yeah, get out of the tree. It's 35 <laughs> degrees outside. Go to class. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we're going to be recording again in like less than 24 hours, I suppose. Yeah, like probably even, tomorrow. Yeah. On the even Thanksgiving, so we'll cut it short here. Main Street Pharmacy. Cut it short. This sh- podcast feel like an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> okay, let me rephrase. I need to go to bed. There so. we go. There it is. <laughs> so you guys are done. <laughs> Rate, review, subscribe. This is, Jeremy, this Main is Street Pharmacy. This is we love you. Fault. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> happy Thanksgiving. Yes, happy Thanksgiving. Until then, go Hokies. <laughs>